Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. No, we're good. We're rolling. I think we're keeping an eye on that red, uh, red bucket there. We finally realized the uh, reason we couldn't hear in the microphones was because the volume wasn't up. <laughs> you say we. Royal we. <laughs> okay. The, uh, hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John uh, with... My good friend here, Father Austin. So good to be with enjoying you. Enjoying a uh, off the lash here, uh, yeah. a little tea, water, kind of uh, living the Lenten. We're kind Passion of re- tide. resurging here for the uh, for those of us. I should stop speaking in the plural, but for myself who kind of slacked off uh, a few times this Lent, trying to kind of finish strong. Right? Yeah, that's what Passion Tide's for. It's kind of like all right. Whatever you did before, let's let's make this happen. I told you this story. I was biking on Saturday, right, and I got to the bottom of this town, Palestrina, where the musicians from. Correct. Yep. And uh, I told you this, right? And uh, I don't know. I uh, there's a mountain that it's built on, and on top of the town of Palestrina is uh, this Castel San Pietro, mm. cool little Italian uh, castle ruin that goes back to the 15th century. And this is just only in Italy, right? So I stopped to ask this guy directions of the road. Yeah. And instead of telling me you need to go left and then right he just points to the left and he just goes bye prende take it go, <laughs> go I was for like, it, man. Go. and so he just was like immediately like get going so they love cyclists here they love cyclists yeah it gets their heart here fun it's a funny thing isn't it i don't know what it is but they just and not a lot of them are doing it i mean no. there's some people that are really into it but they, everybody loves it they love seeing it it's just like is it like soccer for them you think too it's like I think we don't so. all play soccer but it really excites us yeah and the giro d'italia is coming up here um pretty soon so that's kind of the big you know, yeah, that'll start in the beginning of May. So, will you watch it like online? Uh, I will, and I'm hoping to go see a stage. Oh, really? Yeah, because it comes it comes through here. It en- there's one that ends up for, in Frascati. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, the, that'd be interesting. Yeah, so we'll see. Are you going to wear your kit out there? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I got mocked incessantly last summer for uh, wearing the uh, the polka dot jersey, mm-hmm. but I was riding in this Courage Classic, so we're up on Vale Pass, and these old guys <laughs> are all making fun of me because. He, you're wearing the King of the Mountain jersey. You think you're the best climber. I, it was just the jersey that I owned, you know? Is the polka dot jersey like universal sign for being... It's the... Yeah, for the Tour de France, that's the... the oh, the, what's the, the guy yellow who, jersey then? Uh, the yellow is the lead. Oh, ah, okay. But yeah. what's the polka dot? Thing? And in, in the Giro, they wear a pink... Pink really? jersey. That, so the lead guy <laughs> is in the pink. And that's like very... very Italian. It's very Italian. They don't care. You no. Know? But uh, yeah, you know, one of the problems with road biking, we did this great retreat with our nerdy kids... Um, they don't listen yet. What I find out is that they will in the next year. I'll you know? bet. I'll yeah. bet when they miss us. That's right. Exactly. So, but there's always a moment when I have to kind of sneak out shamefully to bike in the kit, which some people call spandex, but you know the kit it's is made the, of spandex. Kit's the proper term, but uh, you know, beside the point. And Gabby, one of our <laughs> more spirited students who we love, yep. uh, saw me and totally freaked out and. Uh, there's like 30 introverts and then there's one extrovert, but they're about equal in yeah. terms of... <laughs> she. It's the one ring to rule them all. <laughs> it's really true. And she said, I was like, I'm really sorry. I know that's uncomfortable to see you know, one of your priests in Spanish. She goes, I don't care about the Spanish. Goes, Why are you wearing polka dots? <laughs> that was the uh, the concerning thing. So yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're moving through the spring here. Uh, this is our final recording. Are we still recording? Are we good there? Yeah, it's okay, all... Good. I mean, it's the squiggles in the red. Squiggles so. in the red. That's yeah. what we're going for. Final, uh, it's our final time recording, so we're going to do back-to-back here, and this one will come out probably around Easter, and then the next one that we do, which will be uh, your topic, will be in May, but this is this is coming to the end here, yeah. you know? I'm in purgatory, editing purgatory, so the last chapter is in, for those of you who follow us on Instagram, Andrea kind of, 
She was very uh, excited for me, but kind of spoke a bit too quickly. Okay. Like, uh, What'd she say? She finished the dissertation. He got so, a doctorate today. <laughs> I was like, oh, I hope my director doesn't ever read this, which he won't, unfortunately. But, um, well, look, we're all excited for you. I turned in the last chapter two weeks ago, and I finished writing it, and then I told you um, we had a lovely Lord's Day. That was lovely. Drank yeah. some bourbon to celebrate, Yeah. and then I slept 13 hours. I remember. It was, and then I got a haircut because my mom was like, "We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. Just we love you. And we're so proud of you." And then she, and then right before she hangs up, okay, lovely, we'll talk to you. By the way, cut your beard and get a haircut, like immediately. And I was like, Ooh, you know, so. moms are not neutral when it comes no. to their boys' hair. That was an order from a superior officer, exactly. and uh, she and does so you not. Did it. She once told me, you know, she's funny. These Minnesotans, like they, uh, they're, they, they kind of keep it. Uh, you know, kind of uh, interesting, but every once in a while that slips out. And so she one time referred to my, uh, she said, when your hair gets long, it looks like a wig. <laughs> so well, I think I, I told you my mom, I had a beard once for about a month. Yeah. And I was, tra- it was when I was at NYU as a chaplain and we were going somewhere, I think the March for Life. And there were some pictures that the students took, you know, on the way. And so my mom, <laughs> I'm tagged in these pictures. So my mom, it shows up on Facebook and she writes on some kids Facebook page, not on my wall yeah, or anything like right, that. Right. Some other kid that she's never met before. Right. She just writes, "Don't worry, kids. <laughs> Mom's sending razors." <laughs> what a mean lady! <laughs> so moms are never beard neutral. No, no, never beard neutral is right. Yeah, if it's if it's even longer than this, just a little bit, then it's like yeah, yep. it's verboten. So no, because I think moms want their little boys. You know, yeah, they do. That's right. You're like, always just little, especially if you're a priest, then you're definitely always yep. the little the little boy. So And that's human. We yeah. can understand that. But we've we've had a great semester. We got a great crew of Bernardi kids. We were up on a silent retreat. Um and uh yeah, we're kinda coming to the finish here. But I, I you know, speaking of Bernardi, we were trying to you know, we're trying to kinda well, I should say I am trying to kinda how do we kinda revitalize the temperaments? Everybody gets sick and tired of talking about the temperaments. Yeah. Know? Just, everybody's just fed up with it as soon as you mention it. Well, they think it's like kind of this so cliche thing right. and, you know, oh, yeah, that's like the Catholic thing to talk about. It's a temperament instead of the Enneagram or something. Right, <laughs> I right. don't know. But, uh, yeah, so I find people have a bit of, yeah, temperament fatigue. But we put a new face on it by pairing it with Italian <laughs> DJ Stevie. You remember true. that? I do. Did you see the sign in the kitchen at Bernardi? No. Where they've labeled these four. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, you tell your, yeah. Well, so we mentioned this to them because they were hemming and hawing. I mentioned something choleric, and they were like, boo, you know? And I was like, okay, do you guys, they don't, even, they don't know what DJ Stevie is, but I was like, I'm going to tell you something that Father Austin and I came up with, which is basically <laughs> going to explain all of reality to you. Like, this is it. All, human problems, relationships, family of origin, everything all can done. be resolved by this one simple pairing of the four temperaments with DJ Stevie. This yep. is not the topic of the, but we, we have to. We have to, we talk have to about share this. this wisdom that we've gained. So first off, can you explain to the listeners what is Digestivi? So Digestivo is the sort of alcoholic drink that you have at the end of a meal, and it just kind of finishes the meal, helps you digest, it kind of ends your palate a little bit, and so it's uh, every culture has their own versions of these things, but uh, usually they're kind of high in alcohol content. You drink a little bit of them, right. usually, and um, but they can they vary widely in their tastes, actually. So, so the Italian thing, you start with aperitivi. Gets aperitivo. The, gets the appetite. Just like in French, you have the aperitif. Right. And then so, wine during the meal, and then afterwards. And then at the end, the after everything else, uh, yeah, you have your dessert, you have your coffee, then you have a little digestivo. So there's kind of four classic digestivi yep. that pair, I think, quite well with our four temperaments. Indeed. I'll let you kind of bounce the commentary off of this. But the first one, everybody's drawn to. 
the pretty one is which one? I would say Limoncello. Limoncello. That's yeah. the first one everybody gets introduced to because they're at the party. Hey, you know, and <laughs> Limoncello just jumps right at you. It's like, whoa, that looks bright. That looks crazy, fun. And then you taste it and you're like, man, this is just all oh, sugary and delicious. And very quickly, you get tired of it. It gets too much. It's just, it's a lot of sugar. Yeah. And it's just, it, it were, you kind of, you got too friendly too quick. It's the sanguine temperament, right? Yeah. It's really yep. good. That's a good identification. Yeah. Yep. So then you kind of move away from that, and you start to say, okay, give me something a little more, I don't know, less exotic, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a little more mysterious. Yeah. And you start to say, hey, what's that bottle over there? Oh, Sambuca, you know? I wonder what Sambuca is, right? And how would you describe Sambuca? So Sambuca is usually clear, although it can be kind of uh, kind of a cloudy. Sometimes there's also a green Sambuca. Cloudy, excellent, yeah. Um, which kind of looks like mouthwash, basically, right. from the outside. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the taste you want to describe. Ooh, black licorice? Yeah. Anise? Licorice. And you're just like, if you don't know it's coming, it, yeah. it can be a bit violent, actually. So this kind of intimidate, you know, um, kind of mysterious, intriguing, mm-hmm. and then you smell it and you're like, whoa, this is intense. Off-putting. And then you're like, but I'm in too far. I'm already committed. It's in the glass. <laughs> yep. I got to drink it. And then, whoa, it's way too, way too intense. And that would be the melancholic. melancholic yeah. Yep, okay. The melancholic, yeah, yeah. you know, slow to arrive in the corner. Very complex. Not all bad, but just very strong. And for specific, you know, types. Yeah. So after you've gone through the, the sanguine limoncello and the melancholic sambuca, you're like, I, I, I've had enough of this, right? So... You go to the safe bet, you know, to the guy at the party who's just, he's just kind of around. He's not, he's not recluse. He's not in the front. This is Amaro, right? And how yeah. would you describe our friend Amaro? So the flavors of Amaro would be very herbal, right. kind of herby, but, but um, intense, right. you know, kind of lots, there's lots there. Uh, lots of different kinds of different Amaro, though, lots of different flavors. But yeah, kind of herby. And well, and the and the name itself means kind of bitter, and so sometimes they are bitter, but that just kind of comes from the yeah. the herbs themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's a good taste. It's not overpowering, yeah. but there's something to it, mm-hmm. a bit in, indescribable, yeah. indistinguishable. Not in the sambuca way, overwhelming, but just kind of you know, it's uh, nobody can kind of put their finger on it a right. bit, you know. But all around a safe bet. That's what I always drink. That's what you are, right? <laughs> this is phlegmatic, of course. This phlegmatic, yeah. Right. So the phlegmatic DJ Stevie is probably going to be. At least my recommendation for, you know... If you're going to start bet, on one, yeah. It's a good bet. one. Don't start with the limoncello. But then last but not least, and as a choleric, I can say, <laughs> absolutely, it's grappa. Grappa. The drink that... Um, yeah, what? How, I don't want to... I'm, I'm thinking about how to describe you and grappa at the same time. Uh, intense. Uh, often too intense. Formidable. <laughs> yeah, formidable. <laughs> uh Lots of people just off the bat will say, I don't want that. I don't like that. But I, <laughs> but I feel like grappa, like I ordered grappa for my family uh, mm-hmm. because everybody's like, ooh, grappa. We got to have grappa because grappa is just when you take the grapes from the wine and then distill it, right? That's right. right? Yep. And so it's a, it's a very, very unique taste. But I feel like grappa is one of those things that everybody pretends to like, but everybody's actually afraid of. <laughs> exactly. And that's why it's perfectly choleric, right? <laughs> exactly. It's and like, they're a little scared of. Yeah. Scared it's like, of. you're going to take over my life if I <laughs> take one more sip, right? <laughs> that's really good. So that's the four temperaments according to DJ Stevie. Of, uh, that's much more developed than we had it a few months oh, is ago. It? You, you thought about this. Yeah, that's I thought nice about it a little bit. Yeah, that's about all I've been thinking about. So <laughs> you can only read yourself so much for so many hours every day before you're yeah. like, I have to think about something else. But I say all that because I'm going I'm to miss this country, man. Yeah, I think you are. It's not your country. It's not my country. But you're going to miss it. But I'm going to miss it. 
I'm starting to get a little more sentimental. James Batania, that priest we just had dinner with, and he was talking about leaving, and I said, yeah, Rome's, it's like this, it's like this mistress, and it's like, you're fed up with her, and then she does one thing, and you're just like, oh, I love you, I can never live without you, and you're just like, no, I gotta get out of here, this is destroying me, so, but, uh, yeah, it's coming to an end, so. So, yeah, so we got the DJ Stevie thing. That was all I wanted to talk about. We can call well, out here. But the students have it. Uh, it's, on the, it's on the kitchen wall at Bernardi. Nice. You should go in there sometime when we're in there next time. That is funny. They've That's got it funny. up there. Yeah, I think we're going to finish well with, these, uh, with this Bernardi crew. It was a slow start, as we said, but yeah. uh, we had one, one big fan of the podcast, Cosden, who... Stopped listening. Stopped listening because he became friends. We discussed this, I think, last time. Yeah. yeah. Well, not the this, two of us, but yeah. This phenomenon. Yeah. So It's normal. It's normal. So... Okay, without further ado, let's jump in here. Okay. Uh, so the topic of today is called psychotropics versus sacraments, right? <laughs> okay, very good. And uh, the, Do people know that we don't know what we're going to talk about until we sit down here? No. Okay. Well, I think long-time listeners would know that. That okay. was something that began with Mike and I in the early days. Of okay. course, Mike was like, <laughs> I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell you. It made for a very interesting, um, kind of kept the conversation. Of course, you know, yeah. Kind of kept it, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, a little Sambuca in that one, you know. But um, so the backstory behind this is that on Tuesday nights, we do formation for our students, and Father Austin here is the one who uh, sets up the kind of schema. And I got the Eucharist one week, mm-hmm. right? But we've, haven't, we've been having a hard time. Now I think we broke through, but as of a couple weeks ago, having a bit of a difficult time kind of just cracking the ice. Getting and their attention. Getting, getting yeah. some buy-in, and it felt like it was just another class, and they right. were just... I think they were soaking it in, but it was just kind of like, all right, people, let's go. So, not a whole lot of response. Not a lot of response. So I was like, I'm going to shake this up a little bit. And uh, so I was like, uh, today I'm supposed to talk about the Eucharist, but I'm going to talk about marijuana instead. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> what? And I was like, and somehow we're going to try and tie them together, which is probably not going to happen. But So it was a very interesting hour conversation yeah. around marijuana. And one of the main reasons was because a couple of them were going to Amsterdam, and I was like, you're not going let's to look get clear at, yeah, about this. Not going to go. look at the churches, right? So <laughs> let's just talk about this. Because um, the last time I, I discussed this on the podcast was December of 2010. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Early. Yeah. Early, early. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense because the podcast started in January of 2010, so that must have been the first year. That's yeah. crazy. So I, I couldn't believe how long ago uh, that was, eight and a half years ago. And you're still a seminarian. Yeah, still a seminary. You're talking deacon. about the ethical approach to marijuana, and yeah. wow, how much has that changed in the last eight and a half years, right? Especially in Colorado. Exactly. So what I wanted to do was um, with them was kind of jump into the topic a bit and bounce a little, uh, um, kind of bounce some different arguments off of them and hear their thoughts. Basically, the two different approaches, one which would be a more normal Catholic approach and then one which I think is uh, one that's kind of developing a different argument we can take on it based on... And the argument... The way I was laying out the arguments was not so much what is true, which is good, but what is also going to be effective with your friends, because the yeah. culture has changed. You right. Know? Uh, and so we'll kind of circle back to that at the end, um, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. But for the sure. beginning, um, since then, since giving the, that little talk to those guys, um, Eamon Naughton sent me the link for uh, Joe Rogan podcast versus, uh talking to Ben Shapiro on this topic. Oh wow! They covered a number of uh, things. I can and imagine. So, uh, yeah, if you uh, we could put the link on, online, but it's very interesting. You could just Google it. But at about minute twenty seven, they get on the topic of marijuana, and Joe Rogan is like America's spokesman for you know marijuana for legalization. Yeah, for legalization. 
And so what I want to do before we jump into our kind of typical Catholic stuff on this and our approaches is actually just look at uh, what were those two saying really quickly yeah. here. And then, um, because I think that they're a good pulse on kind of where Certainly. where's the conversation actually happening That's in the right. culture. Yeah, Ben Shapiro, I think, I don't know Joe Rogan as well, but um, Ben Shapiro, gosh, I really, I think he's always worth listening to. Right. Because his level of discourse is just very high and objective and... We don't have a lot of that these days. Right. So uh, Ben Shapiro, editor-in-chief of the Daily Wire, which is a a syndicated column, I think. I don't know where it's actually out of, but uh, host of the Ben Shapiro Show, just put out a new book, The Right Side of History. Kind of one of these guys who is sort of Jewish, faithful Jewish uh, man, and he's just, he's one of these kind of thoughtful Deo-Christian roots of society as yeah. we're making all of these kind of changes. I think yeah, that's, that, right. that's kind of a lot of... But you would be more familiar with them probably than I would, so... I, I, no, not much more than that. Just to say that um, uh, he's he combats a lot of kind of the PC culture and right. likes to go on college campuses and just kind of challenge people on things like abortion or other things that are kind of hot button issues and just kind of say, here's my argument. Do you have an argument? You right. know, And he's really good at... And also, he's just kind of a very staid personality, right. so he doesn't get kind of riled up and those right. sort of things. So I think uh, kind of medium is the message with him a lot, too, is just kind of say, let's have a rational conversation right. about things that we might really disagree about. Yeah. And, and I thought both those guys did a great job. Um, Joe Rogan, I just remember from Fear Factor. Remember that show back in the day? I remember I never the liked show. Actually. And then he became the him. MMA guy. Uh, he was the face <laughs> wow. of that. And yeah. then all of a sudden, he became this podcast celebrity i mean he's like absolutely you know one of the biggest thing he had five million uh followers on uh, the youtube youtube channel that i i saw and i was like wow. so he's a huge voice he's very compelling yeah and he's you know he's just kind of he's out there he's authentic he's articulate um he's uh, i i just listening to him i was like i can see why people like it you know sure. and he's got a lot of good things to say um but he's also coming from a worldview and a perspective that i think is 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 pretty different you know, but mm. but he's talking to everybody, and so these two had a really good conversation. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. So first off, you know they're they're both in agreement on terms of like um, that marijuana use um, for anyone under the age of full brain development is not it. This is not a good idea, right? Okay, so, so they not, agree with that. They're kind of in agreement on that, and then they talk about yeah um, the addictive side of it and how it is kind of similar to other substances or, or even less addictive in terms of uh, you know sugar, caffeine, alcohol, and these things, and so. Uh, opiates, um, and then the main kind of problems around abuse and these kind of things. So, so that's one thing. But then uh, Joe Rogan kind of launches into his uh, his main thing, which is that uh, marijuana, and this is this is important. Uh, marijuana has been kind of categorized in this box, mm-hmm. and it's been put in this box because of laws that said marijuana is bad because marijuana is a quote drug, right. right? And so he said directly, perceptions molded by laws that were shaped by tyrants. Right? Oh. So this is why we think weed is bad. Okay. It's because you've been told that uh, it's against the law, and if it's against the law, it's bad. Yeah. Now, there's something important that he's saying there, right? Um, but then he does a couple other things. Like he says, um, well, if you haven't experienced that, he kind of kept going back to Ben. He's like, I've never smoked weed. And he's like, well, you know, you're just another one of these people who just, you don't, if you, don't have, if you haven't experienced it, then you can't really tell me. You know, it's bad, that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. So that was a main a main argument was like if you if you haven't done it, then you need to kind of shut up. The other thing was that your perceptions are molded by um by law. Yeah. And uh and that's not that's not real. Like the word drug is not a healthy word. And then he goes into the typical things. There's some, you know, evidence for medical stuff with PTSD. 
um, candidates and then also, you know, uh, stimulation of appetite for, you know, people on uh, cancer treatments, these, these, these sure. medical things that are happening. Hmm. Um, but it was interesting. I was kind of like waiting for him to kind of move beyond beyond that. Yeah. But it just kind of didn't, it didn't happen. So it's just like, his whole thing is like, you can't make it illegal just because, not only because it's going to reinforce the old perceptions, yeah. but because it's going to keep people from being reasonable and making rational judgments about the nature of the drug. So it's kind of like legalize it so that people can experience it and then can make a rational decision based on their experience. But of course, again, I don't know what his argument was, but I mean, uh, it became illegal and became, and it received this stigma, not arbitrarily, right? right? I mean, at a certain point in history, people were having experience of this and they said, oh, actually, we don't think this is good for society, so now we're going to outlaw it. Right. But he doesn't address that argument. He just says, no, there's this arbitrary thing that happened in the past and we have to reevaluate this by trying it societally again. Right, right. And that's interesting. I mean, and I think that was the, that was the approach uh, Ben Shapiro took, which was to say, listen, like, these laws, whether you, whether you like them or not, like, were based on values that came from a Ju- Judeo-Christian tradition that goes back thousands of years. You mm-hmm. know? So the fact that like, psychedelic drugs are just all of a sudden more readily available in the United States, you know, um, and it's like, therefore, these laws should just be gone, and tossing them out without actually knowing what we're tossing out or yeah. the reasons why the laws were there is not helpful. And I, I didn't really feel like Rogan gave much of a, a good response to that because he's, he, his whole fixation is he's countering the kind of naivete around we have to make these things illegal, you know, because they're bad. And so I was like, it's so interesting because this is a world where there's no such thing as natural law. Yeah. Right. So there's no, there's no order or law in behind the law that we create, you know, civil law and these kind of things. Or that positive law would have some link to that. Right. And that there should just be a fundamental trust that if you live in a society which has a sort of legal tradition, you know, and this sort of thing, that it's going to be based on something that, yeah, um, is higher than us and kind of deeper than just the positive law itself. Right. So, so in a world where um, positivism is now kind of collapsing, so positive, posit- I can't talk, and I actually, I'm just drinking water. Like positivism is, um, you know, uh, coming from Auguste Comte, it's 200 years, but we're, we're moving beyond these modern projects. Positivism yeah. said we create laws and we kind of determine that, but this is kind of the post-positivism world uh, that Rogan is kind of disassembling, yeah. which is to say these laws are arbitrary and were created by people in power, right? And, and uh, we need to kind of get rid of them so that we can actually engage this. And Shapiro's like, yeah, you're moving into Brave New World, though, yeah. is, what, is what you're doing, where it's like, we're kind of moving beyond these laws, and then everything becomes uh, the drugs and the, the manipulation of the mind of the world without any sense of what he called self-help, but he's, he's talking about conversion, changing mm-hmm. life of virtue, you know? Yeah. So it ties back into nature. But if that's disconnected, you know, um, then you can see how it just, we start to go off the slope of just like... Sure. Know. Yeah, but I mean, you know, to live in a world now where human nature isn't determinative any longer. We don't think there is such a thing. And like we were saying earlier that, um, yeah, in the West, there is this kind of fundamental trust that Western institutions have a sense of what human nature and the world and how they're structured and what's good for that. And there's usually play within that about, you know, certain countries can have certain different kinds of laws that differ from each other, but there is a fundamental kind of trust in that. But when you take away the positivist thing, and that was already a deconstruction of the natural law thing, then you're just left with, nothing mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's it. And then it becomes this whole thing around, then it's all about experience, you know? Yeah. And uh, one of the things I did like that Rogan was going into was kind of, and I, I did talk about this with the students. I don't know if it, they really went for it, but I was like, people are not just smoking weed to be dumb. Like, yeah. I kind of did that, but I was also looking for, in high school, I was also looking for an experience of transcendence. I was trying to kind of sure. move beyond this kind of cutthroat atmosphere of high school academics and sports and everything, just the intensity. And a lot of times it's intense people. Maybe they're intellectually driven or, or kind of poetic, artistic types who are going right. to be drawn towards this. Um, and one of our guys, you can probably guess who is, he's like, listen, man, the greatest, and during the class, this was a great comment, he said, uh, the greatest album ever created was Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. And I was like, <laughs> okay, argument over. you know." And, <laughs> and then I was like, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. He's like, whatever, but, man. And Okay, beside the point. But he's like, they, that would never have been created without... Um, copious amounts of psychedelic drugs yeah and he's like they created the greatest album of all times and i was like do you know what happened to brian wilson yeah after that and he's like yeah i kind of ruined his life and i was like was it worth it you know yeah that's the question you have to ask um so there is something about and rogan was going into this about just transcending and kind of exploring human consciousness and these things but it's like but again just because we can do it is it actually yeah worth it you know yeah, because I mean, you don't have to just look at psychedelic drugs and the 20th century rock music either. I mean, you know, people using all sorts of different kinds of human experiences and also kind of drugs or alcohol or, you know, all sorts of things to investigate sort of artistic creativity that does result in these things that we do consider masterpieces. Right. That's a hard question. Yeah, it is. I also think that uh, the question of art is is already kind of detached from the transcendentals in the in the culture yeah. we're living in, and so it's kind of like art is this kind of creative. What is art in itself? You know, so I guess we're getting into these kind of big questions around mm-hmm. what is the role of law, what is the role of art, and these things. Um, and he and he really was big on like trying to blend it with religiosity, man's religiosity. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, this is this is important to hear. This it's not just all we want laws gone, you know, but there's something here, and I think that's kind of the. It's, I think he's expressing something of the sentiment of the of the kid who's going to be who's 22 in Colorado, sure. uh, who's doing this recreationally. Like he's not just an idiot. Now I do think that it will make you stupid and selfish, and I can I'm a personal <laughs> living testimony to that. Like absolutely, and it changes. You're manipulating and destroying your brain by yeah. by, and we don't know how THC uh, works as well. So part of this whole have you experienced it? It's like yeah. We experienced it, but you know, Eric Swanson's on my left creating a religion. I'm throwing tacos at the wall. You know, the girl <laughs> Allie on my right is is going blind. This happened one night, right? Whoa, Smoking yeah. weed in high school. So like, everybody's everybody's affected differently. We don't know how this works. Yeah, we don't understand how these these psychotropics uh, affect the human mind. And so, the thought of just making it illegal, kind of regulating it like alcohol, though it's completely different, and just trusting that you know substances are created by god and you know we got to kind of explore this stuff it seems like a pretty dangerous thing so yeah so so what's the way forward then okay so let's just let's just recap for a second on the state of legislation and then we'll move into the actual question of marijuana so this is more of just kind of getting a sense for what where's the conversation i think Mm -hmm. in the world so the the controlled substance act of 1970 basically shuts all of this down right okay and it says everything is just you know gone illegal and that's kind of the big enemy. Uh, okay, so last time we talked about this uh, substance, this is 2010. In the last eight years, a lot has changed, right? So before you had this Controlled Substance Act, 1970, 
made everything illegal. Since since the last time we podcasted on this, medical marijuana has become legal in 33 states. Wow. And recreational is legal in 10 states, right? Wait, what's the difference between the two? Uh, basically, it's about uh, how do you get it and then how do you how much you can carry. So at least in okay. the state of Colorado, you uh, you need a medical medical. It's just a it's just a it's just a kind of a false door to get into the okay. recreational thing. So you get a doctor's permission, you got headaches, and then he gives you a slip, and then you can go medical. You can carry two ounces of marijuana at you at any time in the state of Colorado. Okay, that's a ton of weed. Is it? Okay. That's a ton of weed. Two ounces. Two ounces is an absolute. Yeah, we used to buy an eighth at a time. An and eighth and of an share ounce. it, eighth of an ounce. So, you can only carry one ounce uh, if you have a rec- if you get it recreationally. Okay. So, and you know, there's more. You hear this? There's more weed shops than Starbucks in Denver right now. Whoa. Oh yeah, it's crazy. And when the state is doing this, are they producing the marijuana? They and are. Regulating they're it? they're regulating it and they're taxing it. Okay. And one of the ways it went forward in Colorado was we're going to pay for education. We're going to help fund universities with this wow. money, right? Yeah. Um, but a couple things have happened. You would think the black market is just going to disappear. Yeah. The state's going to regulate it. Everything's going to be fine. But what you have is you have a, there's a huge there's an increase in in um, black market actual because the market itself is so huge and yeah. it's so unstable. You know, so you've created this new demand and people are moving from all over the country. I mean, Andrea Polito knows a number of families who sell everything and move to Colorado because their kid has cancer and they yeah. really believe that marijuana is going to make. It's going to heal their their sure. child, and there's all this this bogus research online, and these are this is a this is becoming a common thing. Golly. Homelessness is up, you know. Hmm. Um, hospital problems, abuse, violence. There's all kinds of like problems when you create a, when you just legalize this stuff, and we don't know the evidence yet. But I have some friends who work in this field in law enforcement, one of whom travels around and, and is kind of speaking to local governments as they're moving this forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying legalize or making it illegal is the answer. Um, I'm just saying we have to look at the the, the fact of another sure. substance readily readily available, but this time completely unstable that is uh, being used in in a violent way. So, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, marijuana or hemp is the is the uh, cannabis flower. Mm-hmm. It's a flowered plant. Originally comes from Central Asia, we believe, and uh, it's it's got 113 identified cannabinoids right in the cannabis plant. So these are these little psychotropic um what do you call them uh they're huge all these words i can't even pronounce you know (laughs) but but they're the psychoactive compounds in the plant sure uh and that's what makes you trip out right Mm -hmm. so thc tetrahydrocannabinoid that's the famous one right right um and but now there's another one cannabidol cannabidol (laughs) cbd uh which is we're actually finding has had is having better medical uh, effects and it doesn't get the same kind of trip, right? Okay. So you don't have to have stone out your three-year-old, you know. Sure. Um, so uh, THC is kind of the main uh, substance that you're looking for. When I was in high school, good kind bud we were smoking, two to four percent THC. Good kind bud. Kind, see, yeah, kind. That's the old slang. Now okay. it's like Kush Dank or something like that. So okay. um, I don't know. We have to listen to Joe Rogan more. Uh, THC, two to four percent. In the in the in the in the marijuana um, now on the vine growing in Colorado, it's up to forty eight percent. Whoa! Yeah, and now there's all these edibles you can get sure. uh, that are even higher than that, and so there's huge Crazy. questions of just potency, right? Yeah. So when and people, what that's going to do to you, right? Right, exactly. 
So that brings us to the final question. Well, actually, it's not even the final question. We didn't even get to sacraments. Well, this is just like I went with the Bernardi. But, um, so you basically have the argument from temp- for temperance. Can these things be moderated? This is the yeah. question. And this is the podcast we did in 2010, which is to say, the catechism distinguishes between substances that can be regulated in moderation, such as caffeine, tobacco, mm-hmm. and alcohol. Yes, tobacco. Right? <laughs> the last great sin in the United States other than not recycling. Right is listed in the catechism, done in moderation, because the, the nature of the substance permits the possibility right. of regulation, of Even moderation. if any of those can be the subject of addiction, right. they in and of themselves aren't kind of the same sort of addictive, or what, what's the argument exactly, there? Exactly, yeah. yeah. The, the, there's just the addictive, but also just like the sheer potency, kind of the, the psychedelic, there's not these kind of... It can be taken in moderation. It can be taken in moderation, mm-hmm. right? Um then it, the next part of the catechism talks about, um, with the exception of medical use, uh, drugs that cannot be used in moderation. So you think of like heroin or something. It's like mm. you, there's no, the the intensity and the potency of the of the yeah. substance. Narcotic, itself. right? Exactly. Things, yeah. So uh, then the question becomes, of course, uh, can you use marijuana moderation? And this is where the big debate is. And this is where a, a lot of people will just argue back. Sure. On experience, I don't think it's possible. Right. You don't think it's possible to use it in moderation? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you're either not stoned or you're stoned. This is my experience. And again, if with the potency now, you know... All the more. All the more. I don't think it's possible. But the problem is, the dead end here is that people are just like, well, you can. And it, it's it's all experience-based, yeah. right? So we need a better argument, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of how we're talking. And this is the whole point of this, is to say, um, when you use marijuana, one another kind of qualifier is to say it doesn't lead to the experience of communion Hmm. so instead of looking at it from perspective of moderation which you can and i think it's still legitimate and we went into that in 2010 um if you take an argument from communion which is to say why do we use substances at all Hmm. we we have a drink on the podcast we have a cigar or a pipe together uh we have a cup of coffee together why it draws us into communion so the substance does something physically that disposes us to a deeper and more intimate relationship mm-hmm. right i finished the last chapter of my dissertation we have a bourbon and presuming these things are used in accord with our human faculties yeah we're entering into a deeper experience of communion mm-hmm. this does not happen with marijuana period no you go into your own world you, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't draw you together yeah i feel like i'm talking a lot here i'm sorry no so, no, no, no do you have I, any thoughts no so i because uh, that's what i was as we were sitting here talking, I was thinking, what what is the difference then between something that would be, um, yeah, between kind of you presented you know, psychedelics and sacraments, you know, and so what's kind of the difference there? And there's something about the use of drugs in general, even when you're talking about coffee or alcohol or something, you know, kind of more legitimate things in that sense. Um, it's something that I control, though, right. and it's something that I kind of um, create my own experience with. And then all the more with these other kind of drugs and that sort of thing. Until you get to the point of addiction, which I guess you're even powerless in the face of that. Um, but I was just kind of thinking, what's the difference between that? It's like, yeah, whereas in kind of taking of drugs in that sense, you are kind of creating your own experience as opposed to sacramental life where you're trying to enter into something that's bigger than you and bringing you into something. But you're um, it's something that's you're kind of tapping into and being given rather than... And that's it. And that's it, is that... Um you receive sacraments 
and you take. Oh, that's the phrase. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a yeah. coop. And he wants he wants recognition <laughs> for that. He goes, "Are you going to say anything?" Yeah, you take you take substances and you receive sacraments. Okay, and literally, we say you're receiving your first communion. Right. You know, you're receiving confirmation. Right. Yeah. It's a receptivity. It's the mystery being bestowed upon you. But the theory that I kind of concluded with the students was, I think that psychedelics, psychotropics versus sacraments, it's kind of an inverted world. It's mm-hmm. kind of the dark side of that world. And I think that the, the despair around a sacramental vision of reality yeah. is what's leading us into this deeper kind of desire for a, a psychedelic kind of just bliss out, break on through to the other side, Jim Morrison, <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. Because we've despaired of receptivity, we've despaired of the possibility of mystery, of God communicating himself but our hearts are made for that. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of invert it and we take and we, then we distort and we let these chemicals kind of, kind of just trip us out into whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. I just remember reading this. Um, there's a short story by Ernest Hemingway, a clean, well-lighted place. Did you ever mm. read that? Mm-mm. I think we read it in college, maybe even before, but uh, uh, it's a sort of nihilist sort of vision that basically in life, what you want is the place where you can kind of sit, have your drink, have you know clean, well-lighted place. You know, just kind of like just to kind of exist through life, and it's hard, and mm-hmm. life is just mm-hmm. kind of hard, and the world is harsh. Uh, and so I just have to kind of have a drink and a place to sit and well lit, and that's just life. You know, and it seems to me that dr- drug culture can kind of even get into that. It's just like I have nothing transcendent in my life. I have nothing else to kind of live for otherwise, and so I'm going to at least make it kind of cushioned. You know, in this sense, that's probably not uh, most people who maybe are you know taking drugs wouldn't kind of consider their life like that. So maybe it's unfair to think like that, but you can see this sort of despairing vision saying, well, I have to do something. Right, right. And so here's, this is going to at least make it more tolerable to get through the day. Right. Or whatever. That's something intelligible to me. You yeah. Know, you can see why, if you just have nothing else, that you would go after towards this. It's not the only reason people get into it, of course, but. And I think that that is the, uh, what I like about like listening to Joe Rogan and these guys is that there's, they're really looking for something. It's not just kind of this kind of pagan, and we can't just kind of, um, you know, banalize it and say, that's it. It's mm. just, you know, you're just trying to create, you know, the possibility of sin. It's like, no, they're, they're looking for something here and we got to start, we got to have a, but we got to dig a little deeper. We got to kind of roll up our sleeves a little more in the Catholic world and kind of dig it back and say, let's get into this, uh, get more grounded in a sacramental mystical understanding of, of reality and understand that so that you're living from something more than just the the Catholic precepts and yeah. the kind of the bad seventies music that you're getting at your parish, you know, it's like we have to dig deeply into the tradition here and we have to start asking the deeper questions that you wouldn't have had to ask 30 years ago, hell, even eight years ago, mm-hmm. right? Which is to say before it would have been, you don't do these things cause they're bad. Joe Rogan saying, calling that out. That's good. But now let's just ask the deeper questions. What is the nature of substances? I think it's to say we, we can take them when they're, when they're uh, used in moderation, they can lead to an intimacy and communion. But so that becomes the litmus test. I can this so. be enjoyed with the other people? Does it draw us together? Yeah, it's a it's a very different approach to it. But then even that is, of course, not the that's not even going to satisfy. That's that's a part of it, and that's part of our kind of Catholic life. Um, that Chesterton line: "There's no contradiction between what does he say? A pipe, a pint, and the cross." You Ooh, heard that's that? That's good. Yeah, I was thinking another Chesterton line about. Um, well, he has this whole thing about not drinking when you're sad. You only drink when you're happy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it kind of it it uh, it shouldn't be this sort of salve. Right. It should be the way that helps you rejoice in something. Right. You know, and so to think about it that way. 
And that's and that's I I said that with somebody else recently, not one of our Bernardi kids, but they were asking me about drinking, um, and I just said, listen, like we love our bourbon, uh, but here's here's three rules for you. Here's FJ's three rules. Mm-hmm. Number one, only drink with your friends, right? Okay. Don't drink alone. Yep. Um, drink only to the point of hilarity, right? So don't get drunk. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, bring only your joy to the drinking table, which yeah. is a line actually from Kristen Lovren's daughter's father who says that, and I love that. Bring only your joy to the drinking table. Right, and that's that ties great. into Chesterton's line. You yeah. follow those three things, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this substance yeah. in a way that's going to contribute and enrich your experience of communion. Yeah. And uh, if you can put that in a larger framework of the mystery of God's sacramental work, which is to say that he communicates his invisible realities through visible signs. And yeah. he's doing that all the time, not just in seven sacraments, but the whole sacramental uh, reality that we're living in of, of creation speaks of God um, and communicates of his inner life. If you can live in that, well, then these substances become kind of occasions uh, to draw us together, but pointing us to something deeper. Right. Yeah, and ultimately it just kind of points to the 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 place of material creation in general uh, in the Christian spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Then it's like uh, all of this can become an attachment quite easily, and we can start to put our kind of hope and joy and love into that. But if it's not bringing us to Christ somehow, if it's not kind of raising us up, all these prayers at the end of Lent are kind of saying, you know, praying that um, believers can start to desire the things of heaven, not just the things of earth. Mm-hmm. The things of earth can be used so that it you know elevates our vision this way. Um, that this is the sacramental vision that you're talking about, and this is the sacramental vision that hopefully we're going to inculcate. And yeah, certain things help us do that, and certain things hinder us to do yeah. that. And that maybe this needs to be the way that we cash these things out rather than right and wrong or whatever it is. In that yep. yeah. Good. That's all I got. Good. That was fun. You got any shout-outs? Sorry, I talked at you a lot, but oh, uh, thank you for... That was one thing I didn't do. Uh, uh, what do you, you've got shout I have a few. I actually got to kind of clean this out because I'm not okay. going to podcast for a while for the next two. So first off, I want to give a shout out to our, our Rutgers guy. Oh yeah. This kid is awesome. So you want to say your story first? All right. This so, is Curtis. Okay. See, I didn't, I can't, I'm sure I got his name that night, but I was out. Okolovich. For, Okolovich. Curtis Okolovich from Rutgers University. From Rutgers University. So they were on their spring break, a big group of them. Uh-huh. A group of us Dominicans go to have pizza down in Monti at this place called Alicarete, which is uh, just kind of a fun pizza place by the Angelicum. And uh, I'm sitting at a table with all these other Dominicans, and one of these guys comes up to me and says, uh, "Are you, are you Father Austin?" You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? "How would you even know that?" Like, like from the podcast, I was like, "No way!" Right? I was totally back. I was just like, "We're all Dominicans here." How did he know? I guess the voice. Your People face, say that's the voice. The voice. The voice. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't think I have a particularly distinct voice, but he did, and. Um, and then, yeah, so I was kind of, you know... Uh, and you were sitting with some pretty high-profile guys. So I was hitting, you know, sitting with guys from... Uh, professors from the Angelicum, professors from our house studies in Washington, and um, uh, and they all look at me. They didn't ask me a question, and <laughs> they're yeah. like, oh, we're just going to keep on eating okay, pizza. Okay, yeah. You know. But That's then great. you saw him. So then I'm on the 64 bus, and uh, which is the worst place in the universe, basically, <laughs> and packed in there. And this, like, the bus is already packed, and then you see 40 kind of joyful Americans are ready to get up pile on so we're just like in here like sardines and I'm talking to these kids from Rutgers whatever and then I jump off the bus and this kid jumps off after me and he follows me and I was like he's like hey I I listen to the podcast and it's Curtis the same kid wow and I was like walk with me this way but I was like where are you going he goes I don't know he just jumped off you're kidding yeah he just left his group and so it was a bold move, but we got to hang out for a few minutes. Well, that's and, uh, what he needs to be, you know, he's, he's a bold guy in, yeah. in a good sense of the term. We need more of this. Exactly. Audacity. More exactly. audacity. More audacity. We like that. So, Curtis, thanks for your audacity. 
Um, there was another guy, uh, Jared Hollow, who came in, last name actually Hollow. Oh, yeah? From Lima, Ohio. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to challenge Nathan Goble to see, do you know a restaurant in Lima, Ohio? Because every time somebody mentions a small town in the United States, <laughs> he knows some distinct restaurant or bar or food that they serve there. Waffle so House. That's yeah. the next <laughs> challenge for him. So I'm trying to think uh, who else we got here. Uh, Pete Ambrose, I saw you at a wedding over Christmas. A- uh, banter hater, you don't even deserve a shout out, but you get one because <laughs> you're married to a Ross girl. Oh, Laura Sursich, this will be the last one. Peter Sursich's mom. Uh, she, uh, I was just playing pot. I was playing euchre with your son up in Iosta, and he started saying, "My mom listens to the podcast. Like, actually, faithfully listens." So, wow. So, Laura, you got a great son, and uh, hope to see you next time you come through Rome. So. I think we'll leave it there. Joe McGill wants a retraction and an apology for something I said of him last time. And I said, uh, you will get neither and you will like it. And then he writes back, I will get both and I will like it. And I was like, now you're Polish. So that's it, man. Let's, All right, uh, before the squiggies go away, let's let's shut it down. Um, okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's interesting doing this without bourbon. Indeed, I'm It's sorry. a little different. No, it's good. I don't want to force my... It's good. It's very good. So it's good on. It's good for us. Good on you, as they say. Um, CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Great to be with you, and we'll be back shortly.